Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Mark Etheridge. We are winding down our team preview series of episodes here on Highway to Hoover, which is good news because that means opening day is just around the corner. We are we are knocking on the door of opening day, which is a beautiful thing. Today we're going to talk about Texas A&M, a team that it's kind of it feels like a little bit of a uh, not uncertainty because i think we really like the talent on this team but went into last year as the number five team in the country sputtered at certain points ends up being a two seed in a regional you know kind of crashes out in regionals which was two rounds earlier than we anticipated them crashing out and and so we can talk about why that was and then project forward to how we think this team will be better or not in the 2024 season. But before we get to that, I have to let you know that this episode of Highway to Hoover and every episode of Highway to Hoover is brought to you by Pitch Logic, the system used by players, coaches, scouts, and instructors at all levels of play from youth leagues to the big leagues. The easy to use and affordable technology makes the platform accessible to every player at every level. All the metrics and features used at the highest level. See pitchlogic.com for more information. So yeah, Mark, Texas A&M last season, 38 and 27 overall, 14 and 16 in the SEC, um, made a run second half of SEC play to, to, to maybe at some points tease us with the idea they might get back to hosting, ultimately fall a little short of that. Mm-hmm. But got to the final of the SEC tournament. That was a highlight for their season, but then ended up, you know, losing out in a regional um, and being done a little they, bit earlier than than we anticipated. Yeah, but they were in a, in the winners. I mean, they were in, they won the, if I remember that right, they were two and oh in that regional and just kind of ran out of pitching. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's a great segue. I mean, that was kind of the theme there last mm-hmm. year. And that was, you know, they got off to a one in five start and you go back and look at the opponents and it was like under, it was like, okay, like they went one in five against two of the better teams in the SEC. And so, but you, you know, you take those results away, which I know you can't do, but without that one in five start, they're 13 and 11 in the SEC. And, you know, uh, if they split those games, suddenly they're, they're looking at, you know, be, being a lot, if they're three and three, instead of one and five, you're looking at a, at least a 500 team in the sec and maybe a run to, you know, the, uh, conference tournament championship game would have been enough to maybe push them in off of the hosting bubble or what have you. But anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's history there. Let's, let's spring mm-hmm. it forward a little bit. And the, the bugaboo last year was pitching. Um, there's just no way around it. And it was kind of a surprise, honestly. I think we looked at the the pitching staff last season and looked at Nathan Detmer, who was really solid for them in 22. You know, you heard, we heard a lot of great things about him last fall, you know, and and then leading up to last season at this time last year. And then it just never really clicked for him. Like he, he gave them some innings, uh, you know, but he, he, the quality just really wasn't there for him. You know, Chris Cortez took a step back, like his role ended up getting kind of juggled around a little bit as the season went on, you know, and, and they, they had some weird things happen. I mean, the best reliever was Evan Oshenbeck, who mm-hmm. was like not on the radar at all coming into the season, really. And, and yeah. I think the coaching staff will tell you that that's just not like it wasn't on mine and Mark's radar. <laughs> I mean, that was like the coaching staff wasn't sure he was going to be a, a real big contributor for them. And then they also just the way their bullpen shook out they were all left-handed which Mm -hmm. was great if you faced a team that couldn't hit left-handers but if you had a very right-handed dominant lineup that was comfortable with that they kind of could get into some trouble so 
that kind of ended up hurting them. So for me, Mark, the, the question is just going to be how much better is this pitching staff, if at all? Um, and, and to me, and we'll talk about the offense, of course, later, but I don't have much of a concern there. It's just really how much better is this pitching staff, if at all, from what we saw yeah. last season? Yeah, I mean, they, they need some guys to, to take that next step. I mean, that's it, that's simple as, as it gets. I mean, Justin Lambkin, who, who had he had moments last year, can he, you know, he was a freshman or pitched, pitched kind of in midweek and then, you know, had, had some, some weekend work late, but I, I think, you know, he's got a chance to step in and be the Friday guy. And if he makes that jump, I mean, that's the thing. When I look at a and I, I see a lot of candidates, but I don't see that bell cow that, Hey, he's going to go out and give me six, six and two thirds on Friday night. Right. And, and that's, if Lamkin can do that, oh boy! I mean, because th- that does change change the calculus on this team. The other guy, Tanner Jones, uh, Jacksonville State transfer. I mean, he's he's a guy who was who was three and three with a mid four ERA at, at Jack State. Um, how's that transition to the SEC go? Uh, obviously. You know, you have different pitching coach, you have a different environment, your pitching labs and all the, the advantages that A&M can, can give you. Uh, does he make a jump and, and become a guy? And then you, you kind of referred to Cortez. I mean, he's the wild card to me. I mean, premium velocity, sky's the limit, super high ceiling. Can he, can, can he master the pitchability aspects of the role and, and give them you know, that, that kind of um, innings and production that they're going to need. And it, and if it's not those guys, who is it? Right. And, and I think that's, that's going to be the thing. Cause I, I, I do feel like there are options and, and there's some depth, but um, I, you know, when you compare them to some of the other teams, you know, there, there's no Hagen Smith, there's no Thatcher Hurd. There's no Luke Holman. There's, you know, there, there's not those guys, right? And they, they need somebody to emerge and can at least keep them in games against, you know, those elite kind of pitchers that they're going to face, you know, in this league week in, week out. Um, and, you know, the other side of that is you don't – I don't think they're going to have to beat people two to one very often, right? I think they're going to be able to, to score some runs and, then, you know, you – you hold them to five, you got a pretty good shot with A&M's offense. So I, I think, you know, it's not a, you know, it's not a deal where you've got to be perfect. You've just got to be good enough and get innings and and be able to keep your team in the games. And and that's that's what we're we're waiting to find out. That's obviously the huge question. Everyone has it about A&M. That, that's no secret. Because um, it offense, it's it, I think it's going to be rocking and rolling. Um, and I know you, you want to jump in on this, but. But the first thing I'm going to say about the offense is even if they don't have great talent, the way Schloss coaches uh, the hitters, um, they work counts. They're a pest. They, they get deep in, you know, they get deep in pitch counts. Uh, the games take longer because they're just, they're doing things to just pester you. And as a baseball fan, I love it. As a media guy who would like to get in and out in under three and a half, four hours, sometimes not so much, but but I do like the way that they play and they put pressure on you. 
And if you are not able to handle that kind of attack, they will certainly take advantage of you. And they can do that without premium talent. And as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, they've got premium talent offensively. No, no doubt about that. I mean, that's, that's a great point that the, the pitching staff doesn't have to be um, anything super special necessarily to be, to be good enough. But I share some of the skepticism, I guess, mm-hmm. of, of, the, of the pitching staff just because you look at I mean, there, there are a few things here. One is that, you know, they, they had Nate Yeski as their pitching coach last year, who we, we all kind of agree is one of the best pitching coaches in the country. And Jay Johnson would not have hired him at LSU if that wasn't true. And so is it just, is it just that Nate Yeski was not a personality match for the particular group of pitchers? Uh, his methods didn't match. Is it just that the pitchers needed a different voice in the dugout is, you know, a lot of things that can necessarily not be anyone's fault can be true. Or is it maybe just that there, there's a ceiling with this group, right? And it it is largely outside of Tanner Jones and, you know, Zane Bodmaev in the, in the bullpen, but largely they're running it back on the pitching staff. You know, they're, they're going to be leaning on Lampkin and Cortez and, and Oshinbeck and, Sadeo, you know, that, that, that group we saw a lot of last year. So, you know, it's, it's not like there's going to be a silver bullet coming in here and it's like, Hey, we're just going to kind of turn the pitching staff over and, and start fresh. And I think there's some positive there. I mean, cause I do think we saw Justin Lampkin grow up a little bit late last year. I mean, he was great mm-hmm. in the sec tournament and maybe I'm over indexing that one performance I saw in the yeah. sec tournament, but certainly you like what just, what you saw there. You don't do something like that without having that kind of ability. And I'm with you on Tanner Jones. Look, I, I I don't know what to think because I, I've heard a lot of positive stuff about Tanner Jones in the fall and in the preseason. But to your point, he's a guy who had a four and a half plus, I think it was 467 ERA at Jacksonville State in a, in a pretty good league. They were in the, the A-Sun last year, but that's not an offensive league, really. Um yeah. You know, but then again, Tennessee is also maybe probably going to start AJ Causey, and he had a five ERA at Jacksonville right. State. So I don't know, right. maybe maybe there just was you know something there. But you're asking a guy who hasn't pitched this level, who you know it's not like he was striking out twelve and a half guys per nine innings at Jack State. Um, but again, just to reiterate, because it's not like I'm tearing the guy down, I've heard nothing but positive stuff about him you know, since, since he got on campus in college station. So I, I do think we need to reserve some, some optimism there that, that maybe he is a, a real guy for them. And, um, you know, and, and again, maybe it's Max Wiener, the new pitching coach has really connected with this group. And then I think you've, you hit on it with Cortez that mm-hmm. if he's really good, then I think a lot of these concerns kind of just wash away because I think you can look at the rest of it and you can say, okay, you know, they've got you know, Ryan Prager who was really good in 2022 um, you know, if he's your midweek guy, you've got pretty good depth there. Yeah. If it turns out to be that, or you could slide him into the, into the weekend. Right. Um, and you've got Ashen back and you kind of know what to expect with him. And Bodmaev is a proven guy at the mid major level. Sure. But you know, a proven closer and the stuff is, is really good for him. And you've just got a lot of veterans back in the bullpen. So, you know, if, if, if Cortez is able to be a top end guy, it kind of slides everybody down a little bit. Right. And I think it takes some of the pressure off. So, but to your point about the offense, look, I mean, you're starting with Jay Slavulet, who is, you know, maybe the first overall pick in the 2025 draft. I mean, you're talking about a a center fielder with 
you know, uh, the power that he light tower power that he has, um, you know, with still plenty of field to hit. It's not like he's up there. He's not a big donkey. That's just swinging from his heels. He's a better runner than people think. Cause he's a big guy. He's a, but he's a better runner than you think. Um, he's an instinctive defender, you know, everything you want basically. And then you, you team him up with Braden Montgomery, who is a lot of those same things, mm-hmm. um, and a proven player in his own right at, at Stanford. And, we get fixated on those two guys and I, and I understand I'm not denying that, but I think what really kind of makes this offense sneaky, great beyond those guys is, you know, you've got a Ryan Targach back who's hit a bunch of home runs for them last mm-hmm. couple of years. His, you know, batting average maybe wasn't what you would have expected last year, but you, you add to him, Ted Burton, who's played in a lot of big games at Michigan and has put up good numbers the last couple of years at Michigan, Ali Camarillo, who, you know, I heard when Ali Camarillo got to uh, got to Cal State Northridge a couple of years ago. You know, somebody told me, "Hey, I don't know how that kid ended up at CSUN, but he should be playing shortstop in the SEC." Well, hmm. here you here you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he's there. You know, Hayden Shot from Columbia, really good players, played in a lot of big games. Columbia is one of the best programs in the Ivy League. Yeah, and is always in the mix. So there's a lot of names that the casual fan might not know a lot about. Um, and I didn't mention Gavin Grohovac, you know, that the freshman yeah, was getting freshman. as much buzz as really Laviolette was last year. So they're, they're going to probably play him at third base and we'll see how that goes. But so, yes, there, there are these headline names that draw attention. But the reasons why I think this offense could be elite elite is that depth with some guys that maybe the, the casuals don't quite know as much about. Yeah, totally. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. I mean, I, I do think it starts with Lobulette and Montgomery, though. I mean, you think about in the SEC, and you have the, those two guys in the middle of the lineup that you can't pitch to, right? And there's a few, right? You, I mean, you look at Florida with, with Cags and, and Shelton. You look at, you know, Mississippi State with Hines and Jordan. Um, who am I leaving out? I mean, there's – there, there's def, uh, maybe maybe even Auburn with, with Pierce and Irish with with way with the way they produced. I mean, when you have you know not that one guy that you pitch around that you got multiple guys and and heck, heck if uh, Grohovic turns into what we we all think he's going to, maybe they got three of them, right? And and oh boy, then then you're talking three, four, five in the lineup, you know, you know with that you can't pitch to any of them. And then that's when you're talking about the kind of year that, that A&M had, a, a, I guess, a few times under Rob Childress, where the offense was just so good. And they just pounded people, and it was no fun to play them. And I think that's what Schloss is working towards, just amassing all this kind of talent that, that and teaching hitting the way that he does. Um, you know, they don't need elite players to be a good offense, and they got them, buddy. Um, so I, I'm really high on – on, on the Aggies offensively. Um, and, and I think because of that, that's going to make it so much easier on their pitching. Cause I mean, they're especially early, their offense should carry them in this non-conference because who's going to be able to pitch to them. That the only teams that are going to be going to be able to pitch to this, this kind of offense, at least, you know, on paper are going to be sec teams and wake forest and, you know, Clemson and, you know, the top team TCU, the top teams in the country, and they're not playing those. So I, I do think they'll be able to to kind of have some success and the offense will bludgeon people and let the pitching kind of, you know, work its way through whatever it needs to work through, you know, to, to get where they need to go. 
I think the other thing, um, like Max Coffer was a freshman last year who who kind of learned on the job. A really talented kid with a lot of tools. What if he puts it together? I mean, that that's kind of my, you know, it, I always love to see these guys who come in and and they kind of play because they have to, not because they're ready. And the, but but they learn, they get better, and, and they're able to 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 use that as a positive, right? Use all those times that you struggled, and you're able to push through and and become a you know a really big influence on, on the following season. And and I think the other guy um, is is Camarilla. I, I think having that guy in the middle of the middle of the infield that you're able to to depend on, um, you know, plug and play shortstop, you know, you know. Last year they had A and M had success with that, and now you got another one, right? And they're coming in, and and that's the formula that, that you're going to go with. And, and if you're able to, if he's able to contribute offensively and, and and be that steadying influence on defense, then then that just makes that team so much, you know, so much more challenging to to face uh, in this middle of you know, in in this SEC where everyone's good. And and A and M, I mean, offensively they're as good as anybody. And if their pitching comes around, I mean, they're certainly an Omaha kind of team. It's a great call about catcher. Last year A and M's catching situation wasn't great. Injuries were a big part of that. Having to put a guy like Coffer in a situation that he wasn't he wasn't totally ready for, you know. Um, yeah. But they played him out of necessity, and that can play into some of the pitching stuff. I mean, you know, maybe there just wasn't that confidence you know yeah. in in the in the battery and, and maybe that gets better not only is coffer a year older they also brought in jackson appel a grad transfer who got to a regional final with Penn last year uh down at the auburn regional really good player so uh, there's some depth there that, that maybe last year they they didn't necessarily have weren't able to tap so i think there should be an improvement at that position and that can that can really go a long way not just in terms of not having necessarily a, a black hole in the lineup but also the pitching staff maybe being a little bit more comfortable with, yeah. um, you know, the what they breaking ball with a runner on third. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, certainly a positive step there. Um, so yeah, A&M lineup. Great. No notes really <laughs> pitching staff. How much better are you? And that's, I think that's, what's going to control the, um, the ceiling for Texas A&M, which obviously we think is quite high here at D one baseball as we have them ranked eighth in the country headed into the 2024 season. That is going to do it for this edition of Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. If you're a Texas A&M fan, if you're an Aggie and you're dropping in on this uh, this single episode, we appreciate you listening. We would urge you to go back and listen to the previous 12 of these that we have done. We've previewed every single team in the SEC except a, a couple now. Uh, so we're wrapping up. So <clears throat> go back and listen to those and stick around as we we have one more of these to do. We have Vanderbilt still coming up, so make sure you check that out as well. And stick around with us as the season gets underway. Mark and I will be doing our recap podcast episode every week, typically on Mondays. You'll see that come out. I'll also have an episode later in the week. Uh, typically, that's going to be an interview with a beat writer from somewhere in the SEC footprint. So we'll, we'll touch on some specific program stuff in those episodes. And we'll have obviously plenty of other coverage throughout the week. So if you're if you're not a subscriber, uh, you haven't quite made the leap yet, we would, we would urge you to, to get in. It's the best time to do it, right? This will take you all the way through. You know, you sign up for a year, it'll take you all the way through preseason next year. And Mark and I are, are working hard to make sure we make it worth your while every single day. Uh, so thank you. 
for listening. Uh, thank you to Pitch Logic for sponsoring this and every episode of Highway to Hoover. And thank you, Mark, as always, for joining me. We'll talk to you all soon. The Highway to Hoover podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.